Okay, we are here for the third time in the takeover of the Oslo desk. And uh, once again, I'm Anthony Giannoumis and I get to interview the great and wonderful uh, Kaman Mak, who is the leader of the Oslo desk, the champion, and the reason why I and we get to do this sort of thing, which is really wonderful. Uh, today we're going to be talking about a couple of really uh, personal and intimate things, but also trying to understand how uh, your background and your experience relates to your worldview. So the first thing I want to start off with is you have a, a lovely daughter named Hazel. Uh, and so I want to understand a little bit more about your relationship with her and how that all started going back to your pregnancy and all the way through till now. Uh, so let's just start with that really personal and intimate question. What was it like being pregnant with your daughter Hazel? Oh, it was, uh, it, it was during a time where, I don't know if I said it before, but um, when I found out I was pregnant, my mother, you know, passed away at the same time. So I was dealing with life and death, you know, um, type of issues. Um, but when I, my daughter, when I had my daughter, it was, you know, there's no doubt in my, in my mind that I didn't want to have her, you know, um, it was, I mean, it was, it was a little scary because I knew like my mother passed away. But at the same time, because of um, me having to take care of my mom and, and, you know, having to, you know, physically and mentally be strong, um, I felt like having my daughter wouldn't be an issue at all. Um, but it was just the idea of, you know, being a mom, you know, being, mm -hmm. um, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a very, it's a really beautiful feeling, but it's also quite nerve-wracking at the same time because I'm often thinking okay I'm gonna have a baby I need to take care of my health um when she's born can I really do it you know it's all in my head <laughs> you know yeah. because obviously in the beginning you're kind of like going yeah I can do this I can do this and then like sometime at the back of your mind is like um yeah maybe I, there's some stuff I still need to work on <laughs> yeah sure you know? so um yeah. but no it was, it, it was just a uh, it gave me I, I I guess like I, I'm trying to be very careful because like my mother put her children at the center of her her life and universe mm -hmm. and that kind of pulled her away from um, developing herself and her career and, and those souls. so you know but I do have to say like my, my daughter became really a the center of my, my world you know mm -hmm. and um, um, and it, she made me think about things that I haven't thought about um and it's just refreshing it was just um this such a innocent little being growing inside of me and um i want to take care of her i want to you know love her i wanted her to have you know you know the best really so and i i, I want to pick up on some of the kind of the narratives that you were just mentioning here there's uh in in popular culture in the media we get all of this kind of mothers should be like serene and gentle and they, they should put their children at the focus of their world and all these sort of things. And for women who maybe don't have that same experience or for one reason or another might not fit into that very traditional model of what a mother is or is supposed to be, uh, it comes with a lot of shame. Um, so they can feel a lot of, uh, of kind of almost self vilification or that internal conflict between what they feel, what they're doing, and what kind of society tells us mothers are supposed to do. Did you get any of that? Did you have any of those experiences while you're being- Definitely, absolutely, definitely. Because it's like, you know, you do have your ups and downs, right? And, you know, kids have a mind of their own. <laughs> so, mm. so that, you know, you, you want them to be, you know, 
to be able to eat their food, go to bed and do as they are told, but that doesn't happen, you know? Mm -hmm. And then sometimes you're extremely tired. And especially if you're struggling, you know, cause I was a single mom, you know, soon after my, my daughter was born. So I had to struggle financially um, a lot. And I was going through, <clears throat> I was going through so much grief, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, trying to think back about, you know, the things that happened with my mom and our relationship and, you know, trying to just digest all of this life experience that I was, that I was going through. And I was very alone, you know, I was very alone. I didn't have many friends at that time that I can trust and really, you know, talk about what was going through my mind really. Um, so yeah, sometimes I did think like, oh, if I didn't have my daughter, you know, um, maybe it would have been a little better because then um, maybe if I did have a career, if I had a little bit more money, if I was um, not in Norway, maybe, then I can offer all the things that I can give her. And then I, I have felt a humongous guilt when I had my daughter uh, during the period when I was a single mom, like, can I really offer her the things that my mother offered me? You know, I can't offer my daughter piano lessons say for some my, my mother really saved up so much money for us to go to a private school to do piano lessons to go to all these different activities you know uh, be able to buy us certain clothes to make us look you know pretty, uh, particularly good and you know I was I, I didn't feel like I reached up to my parents level of care at the time um, I had to really do what I can you know um so I think like there, there is, is this conflict where I go, I mean, it sounds really bad, you know, to say that uh, I shouldn't have my daughter or anything, but because eventually you go, well, she's here now. I need to just keep going. I just had to keep going, even though I feel completely crap <laughs> and, and feeling guilty about it. Um, so you, you do have that. And, and I don't think, you know, this you know that there like just like you said there is like this idea that mothers should be calm serene and collected and doing all the stuff at home you know um all the domestic chores and then the guy doesn't you know kind of come in and all that um and i don't think that's right i think mothers should be able to just rant to to kind of get it out of their system like you know i'm having a really shitty day you know um you know i had like this incident with my daughter when she was a little older where <clears throat> literally um, she was having a tantrum um, outside the store, you know, she was on the, on the ground, you know, and I just literally had to drag her out. Even though it looked like I had no control of my daughter, you know, there was literally a guy that came along and gave my daughter a sweet because I'm like, why did you do that? Because I poured her out of the store so that she could <laughs> have that, you know, sweets, you know, and, and uh, it kind of, devalued me in a way as a mother in, in those instances. Um, but I feel like, you know, you should just allow her a mother be a mother and try to, you know, sort out the situation. Um, and I literally just carried her through the shopping mall with her on my shoulders like this and going out, you know, people were looking and go, what the hell's going on? But it was, you know, and, and there are times like that and you go home and you literally cry your eyes out and go, oh no, <laughs> you know, and you have so much of this, you know, all these people like um, looking at you also makes you really think like, are you a good mother too? Mm -hmm. um, and then now my daughter's a little older, you know, we had another incident where I literally came home um, quiet, extremely quiet and just 
bored out my eyes. And it was the time when I knew my daughter was tired. She had football. Um, and I was, you know, she was talking to her friends because it was the Corona situation where parents can't go on the field. So I was waving at my daughter. She saw me and I said, you have to come out now. You know, we need to get home because we live quite far away from the school. So I need you to get home um, so that you can actually get your hours of sleep. Um, and I knew she was getting tired and I literally had to just break the rules and just go on a field and just grab her and go, look, we really need to go now. And she went really angry with me and she was like storming across the field crying her eyes out and saying you're a bad mom <laughs> you know why <laughs> you know i hate you i don't want to be here you know and then she ended up saying you know um you should go back to your own country and i'm like whoa <laughs> um and, um, and all these kids were running after her as well. You know, parents were looking and going, what's going on? Did I do something bad? And I was mortified because it's like she was saying these screaming, uh, you know, across the field, getting out of the school um, area. And then we were on, <laughs> on the tram and everything. And uh, I just sat there very, very quietly. But I did talk to her like I had to kind of grab her and, and say, look, calm down. I know you're angry. I know you're, you're very upset right now, mm -hmm. but please believe me that I just want you to go home now so you can get some sleep. As you can see, you're very moody and that happens when you're very tired. So let's just get home. And I think like the whole entire journey, I just did not speak. I did not say anything because I was just so, um, so heartbroken because what happened was that when she said that go back to your own country, I don't know how that came about. Was that from listening to other adults saying it um, because it's something, you know, obviously being an immigrant, you do get people saying this in different ways. And she have met situations where, you know, um, there, there are people who, who talk to us in, in a very, you know, um, manner that was slightly hostile, let's say. So, so I don't know whether she picked that up or whether she picked that up on, on the news or whatever. So that really shocked me. You know, that, that comment really shocked me. I understood that she was upset. She was angry and she hated me. Um, kids always hate their parents at some point so that I get but to say that you know you should go back to your own country that really hurt that really really hurt so so it's, it's like this roller coaster so when you're at that situation as a mom of course I still love my child but it doesn't mean that I don't get upset you know um, or feeling a great dread you know of being in a foreign country especially with my situation being a foreign mother who don't speak the language who don't um, who hasn't gone through, you know, the schooling that she's going through. My schooling is very, very different from hers that I feel so incompetent, you know. So you do get that. You're not going to be perfect. And you're not going to be perfect in, in the sense that what Norwegian parents often think of immigrant parents often mm -hmm. find. There is a slight difference, you know, and, um, and it is those differences that we need to kind of understand is, is not necessarily right or wrong sometimes. Um, so first of all, thank you for sharing all that, that, um, that story that was, uh, it's actually, is heartbreaking to hear. Um, but I want to, uh, draw out some of the, what you're talking about here, which is that, uh, mothers get judged from so many different places. They, they experience judgment from society, from people walking down the street, from people in the store, from their children, from, you know, their partners, uh, from their family members. And so I'm just wondering, uh, what were some of the things you kind of did to cope with that 
kind of feeling of constantly being surveilled or constantly being kind of uh, observed, I guess? Um, I think it's really trying to um, reflect and also kind of, it's, it's kind of like this cognitive training, right? You're, you're constantly asking like, do their opinion matter? You know, um, you know, for, for me, it's, it's like yes and no, because, you know, we've heard so many stories about, you know, Bonnevron taking children away from parents. And, you know, there's so much power dynamic in that sense that um, if some of these parents or if these some people see that I may not be a good mother mm. and if they decided to take that approach to go to Barnavarn, um, or even the police, that would put me in a very bad situation. It's like the Karen, right? So it's like, um, and then at the same time, it's like, I really shouldn't have to worry about what these people think because I think I'm doing the best that I've already can. And I think that I could fight back. And I think so in a sense that, you know, when I had my daughter as well, I guess I, I go back to there because when I was growing up, there were always, um, in my family circle um, that I was not good enough. You know, there always was talking behind my back, you know, anything. And when I had my daughter um, at a wedlock, um, there were words that spoken about me, you know, um, from um, the circle. Um, and it were horrible things like, you know, you're a slut, you sleep around and all these type of thing. And I already have to really ignore that, you know, and go, I'm going to rise above that. I'm not going to listen to the shit. Um, and this is going to be the same here when, you know, you have parents and people saying who you are and everything. Um, I try to go, I'm going to not let that affect me because that meant that they won. And I know that I'm not that kind of person. And I think like, as long as I keep going and people see me who I am, um, that that keeps me going at the end of the day. So I try to, you know, recognize that that happened but also kind of try to say that that doesn't really, um, that doesn't say anything about who I am, really. Uh, you're, you're one of the, just so you know, and I've told you this before, you're one of the strongest people I've ever met in my life. <laughs> um, and I, I would imagine that some of that experience has made you even more resilient. So I was just wondering if you could reflect on that. Like how has your experience as a mother, how has your experience as, uh, as a woman living in Norway from uh, from different origins, uh, how has that kind of shaped your your strength, your power? Um, yeah, so, so you know, growing up, um, it's been obviously very tough. You know, um, I think I shared a story where I said that when I was about, you know, seven or eight, I witnessed my parents being beaten up in front of me. So I already was at a very early stage, was introduced to this violent world, very dark, world that hated this color of my skin you know um and you know my parents you know especially my mom would say you above all people need to work 200 percent. you can't just work the 100 percent or less than that you have to be more than that and although many people think that that's like a tiger mom kind of behavior but it's because there, there's a reason for that because we know that we are at disadvantage and if we don't work our asses off um you know we are going to fall behind we might not get a job you know and not gonna get the life we kind of wanted um and and i think like that kind of built up and then it got to the point where my mother got really sick and then it was the time when i was still trying to um 
you know, I had to really toughen up because it meant like I had to protect my mom. Mm-hmm. It's like this pr- protectiveness that you, you want to protect your, your loved ones uh, in, in, uh, in some ways and forms. And um, when I am, um, sorry, I'm just going <laughs> to unvibrate my phone. So I'm going to just uh, turn it to silence. So I did. Um, so basically, um, so when my mother got really, um, yeah, got really sick, you know, there, there were times when I had to be the one who had to fight for her rights, you know, in a hospital, whether it's, um, you know, getting her the, the medicine that she needed because she was in so much pain and I can see her oxygen level dropping. And I think those little things really challenged me mm-hmm. um, to, to step up uh, and show myself and go, you can do this, you can go. Um, and then when it kept going and it just, I think it just built up the layers of who I needed to be. Um, and when I became a mother, especially, you know, um, she only got me as a mom to protect her. And I really felt that. I really felt that um, I need to do something for her and how I can change the world to be a better place for her to kind of be in there. And I think that that toughness comes from that. And, you know, I have my own personal um, journey and, you know, people who try to put me down and, you know, in, you know, either mentally or verbally and, you know, and physically in, in some ways. Um, so in those sense, I have to be strong in order to keep my sanity, but also to protect my daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that all of that kind of came together um, mm-hmm. to where I need to be now. Um, and having gone through domestic violence myself and, and, and all these type of things um, meant that either you go down or you go up and then um, figure out how you can go up there. And it is developing that strength um, in, in doing so, because I don't think there's any other way. I mean, of course, people could choose to, to head another way. And I've seen people heading the other way, but I think that won't be necessary good because I think I don't think that I'm the only one in the world who is going through the things that I'm going through Mm. that's what I feel like Um, and if we can stand together and say there are things in this world that is going so crap um, and we have experienced it it gives us a stronger voice and that we can actually do something collective um, to move things forward so I'm kind of directing all that energy all that frustration that sadness Mm. and either the system or the individuals or so forth is just trying to put that energy somewhere a bit more healthy and then trying to create a better world. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Not, not fixating on the problem, but really trying to force yourself into identifying solutions and, and working in partnership with others. I think that's, it's a beautiful message. And I think that's so valuable coming from you. It's especially valuable for anyone who has had similar experiences as you have, uh, as you've had, um, I, I want to go back to the pregnancy issue again, because I think this is re- re- really important for us to just understand people's human beings perspectives and experiences uh, during that part of their lives. Um, and in the media, we get like very sanitized versions of pregnancy, right? Like you see this woman with a belly, and then there might be some jokes about morning sickness kind of thing. But it's, it's kind of almost from a, the man's point of view, it's never really oriented or focused on the woman's point of view, because pregnancy can be really, really messy and disturbing in, in a health way, in a, in, a, in a way in terms of a person's health. 
So I'm wondering, did you, what sort of health um, experiences did you have during the pregnancy? Was there any complications, any problems that you had? Um, what were the main challenges? Yeah, so I, I had a complication. Um, so firstly, I was sort of anemic, so I had to take iron supplements. Um, I know that I, I tried it to do it through diet, but the diet didn't um, really um, get the numbers up. So I actually had to really take on the tablets um, and and uh, bring the iron level up. Um, but also I was taking in a lot of like water um, in my legs. So it was interesting because I was asking my my aunts and um, about this and uh, they said that, and even my dad said, you know, your mother had the same thing actually, um, that your legs will swell and you keep swelling. Um, and I it became extremely hard for me to walk around um, in fact, what they had to do was induce me. Um, um, I think it was at 40 weeks. I can't remember 40. Um, and so, so then I felt extremely vulnerable. You know, I can't do anything. I was at the mercy of the people around me who were taking care of me. Um, and even when it came with, because obviously this was my first pregnancy, which often takes a long time. Um, and when they induced me, it was like, 24 hours or so it was a very very long time um, and it was a very painful experience it was extremely painful experience <laughs> um, I tried meditation because I really did not want to have any needles coming in any chemicals or whatever in my body um, so I think I managed to meditate for two hours when I had these contractions <laughs> and then I was like I'm done I need it now <laughs> give me the epidural whatever mm -hmm. it is and they were giving me this um, gas mask and they also did like acupuncture um, what I didn't know at the time was the, you know, when they were putting these needles behind my back, I totally forgotten about it. So I leaned on it. I only found out after I'd given birth and then, uh, my, my ex-sister-in-law and, you know, and my daughter's father and said, yeah, we've got to tell you something. I was like, what? It's like, yeah. You remember the time when you had those needles at your back? <laughs> it's like, yeah. It's like, yeah. At one point you leaned on it. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to grab the nurse to come in and trying to get it out. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay, that makes that makes my makes some sense because my back is hurting like hell. <laughs> so, uh, so it was like those things, but also like during the, the 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 whole pregnancy, it was messy. It was it was because the um because I was induced, it took a very long time, and then the doctor came in, and um, and she was like going, okay, we you know, because it's been such, going such a long time, uh, we will want to perform a C-section on you. And I told her, um, actually, I really don't want a C-section. I still want a natural birth. Uh, I want to keep going and keep pushing. Um, and then suddenly she switched, her personality completely switched. And she just came and she just said, I'm going to override your decision. You're going to have a C-section now. And I'm like, why what and I was so confused at that point I was tired like hell um and then I was literally crying um I'm like going no one should ever have so much power over my body this is my body you yeah. know um whether she this doctor had any communication skills at all I don't know um but it was it was it was so frightening um and I was so glad that my 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 Existential, but I kind of see see her as still as a sister from another mother. Um, that she was there, you know, and talking to the doctor and also the the midwife. Um, she was not Norwegian; she's actually from Denmark, which I was so pleased that she stepped up and she said, "Can I talk with you outside?" And she mm. she took the doctor outside, 
Um, and then I don't know what she, she said to the doctor, but you know, she came back in, I said that, don't worry, relax. I think what you need is just to take about an hour's rest and mm. then you start pushing again, you know, take some juice, you know, some water, just relax and all that. So then that was what happened, you know, after about an hour or so, just resting and then taking some juice, my daughter came out naturally. So that meant I didn't need to have that C-section at all. Um, and then obviously when I, after my, my, my daughter came out, I was just, you know, so thankful. I was just like, oh my God, this little being, she's so tiny, but heavy at the same time. Oh. <laughs> I was like, there was so much stuff going on. And it was interesting because at that time, you know, when I was pushing and I was having, a, a, you know, such a bad time, um, the, the window was open and it was a summer. It was quite, it was quite warm. And this yellow butterfly flew in. And, uh, and I was thinking, I must be dreaming. And I, but I ended up asking, you know, my sister and, and my, my daughter's father, like, am I seeing this right? Is this really a butterfly? Because for us Chinese people, what that symbolizes is that someone who close to you who recently died is visiting you. So for me, it was like, oh, that's my mom trying to protect me. So that was kind of, um, I don't know, it sounds a little crazy for some people in the West who don't, don't believe in these stuff, but that was just weird for me. Mm -hmm. um, so, so then when that happened, you know, um, when I had my daughter and I had to stay in the hospital for, you know, I think it was about a week because of my condition with my legs and they wanted to monitor me and everything. And um, there, were, there were so many things that was happening. You know, I had such a bad time with that doctor. I was already induced, so I was in so much pain. Um, and then um, there was this nurse that came in and, um, you know, she, she said, all right, it's, it's breakfast time. And I said that, okay, uh, would you mind going, getting it for me? Because I couldn't walk. Mm. Um, I was going to be in so much pain. And she said, no, that's, you have to go and do it. So <laughs> I literally had to get up, like slowly walk with my hand on the wall, like slowly to get my, my, my breakfast, you know, and I was literally crying the whole time. And there was my daughter and, and, you know, in her little, you know, cubicle thing. And I felt like that's discrimination right there mm -hmm. um and then it kept going you know because you know thankfully my legs got slightly better and then we had to take my daughter up to um i can't remember which level it was um where she'll be checked by a doctor mm -hmm. so the same nurse uh took all my daughter's clothes off mm -hmm. uh for for the doctor to examine and then it was pretty quick and it's like yep she's fine and all that um she seems to be okay and then what the nurse did was like to throw the clothes back on my daughter mm -hmm. you know not even like putting it back on it was just like throw on top of my daughter like this bam mm -hmm. and i'm like what <laughs> it's like that's my baby girl why you did that i was i was like i was just choking inside i'm like why did that happen mm. um and um and i remember her because she was she had this really um very bright red lipstick on mm -hmm. and, um and i and i just like was just so shocked that this was happening and mm. i was thinking and I, at one point i was thinking is my daughter gonna die or am i gonna die mm -hmm. because you know you hear like in the u.s you know uh, many of the you know you know, African-Americans, you know, mm -hmm. die in hospital, you know, mm -hmm. during, during birth because um, they get mismanaged and, you know, because of racism and so forth. So mm -hmm. I thought, is that going to happen to me in this hospital? Mm -hmm. um, and then I was, you know, I was just got to the point where things were happening like that. And I had to talk and I was just so upset that I, that I was just screaming. I just remembered like telling 
like the nurse going, I want to see your head of the nurse. Um, I need to see someone who manages this, this floor right here, right now, because mm -hmm. I can't take this anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, even the, this very small thing, there, what happened was also before that was, was also that they took my daughter away without letting me know. Mm -hmm. So when I woke up, I, I couldn't find my daughter. I was going frantic. Mm -hmm. I mean, would have what would have been nice was that they would have written a note and saying hey you know we, we just took your daughter for checkup you know you were mm -hmm. sleeping but right. there was nothing i was frantically you know looking at my lost daughter somewhere sure. um so all these like things were accumulating um and then i just went ballistic um yeah. and eventually the head of nurse came and i said that hey look this 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 has happened i don't think that's right um i don't know why that's happening to me mm -hmm. uh, i think it's you know, you should guys just read the charts, you know, there are, um, there should be something to say that I can't really walk because I've got swollen legs, you know, don't do that to me. Um, and I think they took that complaint. I don't know really what they did with it to put it because like a lot of the times that where I feel like in these situations that you can complain, but they may not record it, document it or anything. And then they just continue with this mismanagement basically. Mm -hmm. um, and even with the doctor, it took me, I think three months after I started recovering from, from the pregnancy and the labor um, to, to actually write a complaint letter um, mm -hmm. to the head um, to um, talk about the, the doctor's behavior and everything. And, you know, she did get reprimanded and it was on her documents, they said. So I feel like at least they did something there, yeah. but then again, how many of these doctors get away with it and we don't know you know so that happens so um so that was my my pregnancy and it and you know my my, my sister was there where she um um where she actually took photos and mm -hmm. so i ended up seeing back those photos of you know the placenta coming out as humongous and you know obviously it's very bloody and everything mm -hmm. and it's just but it, it was really really nice because it's that's what it is you know that's yeah. what happens you know um, and, <laughs> and it's, it's just something i also want my daughter to 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 see as well it's like mm -hmm. yeah your mother gone through so much pain and this is what happens if you if you want to have a kid because it is so easy for for kids nowadays to to you know see these tv series online you know mm. where there's relationships going on and then you know someone getting pregnant there's a baby coming out but they don't really know the process you know it's actually it can be quite painful and it can be very bloody and mm. you know and um you know lots of needles and, and and all that so um so yeah so that was kind of my, my my journey and it wasn't a very pleasant one to be honest with you and which is one of the reasons why i am very closely working on projects that involves hospitals involves uh women because i don't want them to go through what i've gone through and i'm only speaking about it now because i was so afraid of how people would see me yeah. before so and we have so many medical drama tv shows but i've never once heard a story with as much kind of and, and i don't mean downplay it but yeah there's a lot of drama there was a lot of uh uh, high emotions and, and huge challenges that you had to overcome in that experience. And, you know, yours is one experience of, of uh, likely many, many, many millions of women uh, who have to go through a medical system that's either really messed up in terms of incentives or uh, like you are, had already alluded to issues of racism and of course sexism is all wrapped up in there too. Uh, so I, I'm really sorry that that happened to you. It sounds just absolutely horrible. Um, and I, it sounds completely unjust. Uh, on a happier thought, uh, I want you to, uh, if you remember when uh, the, the first time you felt uh, uh, Hazel, 
kind of kick. Can you uh, go back to that day and tell me about what that experience was? Oh, the first kick. <laughs> you know, it's funny because my, my daughter, um, we, in, our, in our close family, we have a nickname for her, for long legs. Because, <laughs> because when she kicks me right in the snow, it was really hard. I don't. I kept asking what some of my 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 friends who were pregnant. I was like, "Does your baby kick you that hard?" Because it's literally, you can actually see it as well. You know, you can see like this 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 print just coming up. You know, um, and she was kicking me right in the rib. Basically, and it was, I was like going, "Wow, okay." Um, but it was, it was, it was like this weird sensation but it was also like wow it's there's something in there it's really and she's alive you know um and she obviously want to come out now <laughs> so, <laughs> so um but you end up seeing her personality and that's what i saw you know when, even when she was in my in my in my belly i already saw her being a very you know active being and she was when she came out and she still is you know she's very active you know i kind of understand how much energy she gets mm. um and it was and i remember like i don't know it's just, it's really interesting just because you do see these far videos of parents right you know when they had this belly and then you see like these little prints poking up and it was a bit like that really mm. you know when she was like um inside and i remember when i had this ultrasound once I, I also saw it on the on the screen on the monitor of her like really yanking her legs out. And I was like, yeah, she wants to come out. So no, but it was fun. It was really nice. It was just it's um it, it sort of feels quite unbelievable that um this human being can actually kind of grow inside of you and it was getting bigger and heavier and you know you you're doing what you can to to protect it to um and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 just ah, uh, it's a wonderful feeling. It's also this sensation. It's mm. like wow, just <laughs> awe inspiring. Um, I want to go into now your relationship with Hazel, and of course, you know, you kind of knew her from that moment before she was, you know, before she was even born. And so, uh, I wonder if you could just talk to me about. Where your relationship was with her now and kind of how that evolved um since that day um i think it you know i i had to you know what i did was i i read i have this like pregnancy bible that kind of already gives me an idea of what to do and you know how to take care of her when she's a little baby and then i have like so many books like montessori books you know how do you do um kind of teach a child you know all these uh her motors and you know to to have all the development that you know you expect a child to have um I also did like child psychology diploma just to kind of get to what a kid is thinking and how they develop their language and you know um their sense um and their other senses you know and, and, and all this type of thing so I was trying to feel like I I feel like Ah, I'm, I'm kind of ready. I, I I know all this stuff, but in practice, it's really different, actually. You know, um, and uh, I often have to keep learning. I keep going to forums to try and figure out, you know, how can I better that that relationship. And I think like kids go through certain phases as they grow up, you know, because my my daughter is very, you know, inquisitive. She asks a lot of questions, mm -hmm. even when she was young. And sometimes I feel like. I'm, I may not be the best explainer sometimes because I end up going quite complicated. Um, and, uh, and uh, you know, there was one point where she said that, how did humans became to be, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, how did 
we kind of exist which is already asking these kind of questions and i'm like those are very big questions hazel um i have to get back to you (laughs) (laughs) gotta gotta google that one (laughs) because i really don't know it's like it's it's like are monkeys and humans really alike and i I was like completely blown away um you know how did how did we had dinosaurs and, and things like that she was she was questioning a lot of things and um and just you know the relationship with us is is constantly I think is is trying to build a lot of trust and I think it's I'm also very very aware and conscious and sensitive about her situation because at quite a young age she had to had parents who separated Mm -hmm. and that was you know, from my experience of, you know, anxiety and depression and, and all sorts uh, and mental health uh, illnesses is that I could see the trauma. Mm. Like she was not doing well at all when it, we had the separation. Mm. Um, and I still remember to this day, you know, when we, when I had to, to you know, take her to her father's place, you know, during a weekend, you know, and um, at Cal Bonner's Plush, she was like, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. I don't want to be with you. And she was screaming her, her, you know, uh, screaming so much that it really like hit me. Um, And I often feel that because of those moments that she was separated, I was very concerned about her attachment. You know, it was a healthy attachment. Is it a positive one or is it a bad one? Because in a childhood, if you, if that attachment was not um, healthy or good and positive, it can lead to you know, adulthood problems, which I can see in myself. So I was very, very careful that whenever she was with me, that there, this was a safe space. I often try and create as much of a safe space for her to speak her mind. I mean, of course, sometimes she tells me things that I get so angry that I just want to talk to her father or whoever been hurting her or whatever, you know, and I had to kind of really calm myself because, you know, she obviously told me this and, you know, I shouldn't really be having that reaction because she just wanted me to kind of listen unless she really specifically told me to do something about it. Mm -hmm. So, um, so then it kind of, you know, me also teaching her the Chinese language and also like this language development as well was, it was fun for me because I did teach Cantonese and I, you know, I do love teaching. I do love like mentoring people and, and, and all that. So um, I was trying to kind of, get her to learn these different languages but early on I can see like her her mind can't take so much Mm -hmm. so I kind of just narrowed it to English and Norwegian um, until she was ready to to kind of take on a little bit more knowledge because she was still in my experience I could tell that she was still trying to understand the emotions and her emotional development as well that I could see was quite you know a spectrum you know she can get really upset about things um, that sometimes I don't know. And then she closes up. And mm. as soon as she closes up is when I get really worried because she can't say anything. She can't tell anything. Um, whether it's because she couldn't really describe the feeling that she was going through or, or whatever it was. So it's, so I took a lot of, you know, time to, to really understand her, you know, to mm. kind of be the mom, but also be the friend, you know, and, and, and also really try to be as much in her her life as possible um and then up to until now i think we have you know not to say that we don't have our downs you know it's always an up and down with our kids and but i think she's she's grown up to be a very very sensitive considerate child and i think one of the things that really really 
spoke to me about her character was when I was, it was during the time when we sort of separated and I think it was about a, a month where I was just lying on the sofa. I couldn't think, I didn't know what to do with my life um, and all that. And she wanted to play and I told her that I, I, I couldn't um, because I, mommy was still very sad and then very tired. Um, and then she would just take a blanket, um, a fleece blanket, and then she would just pour that over me uh, on the sofa. And uh, when that happened, I was like, oh, wow, now I really need to get up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I think she also gives me strength. Yeah. You know, she, she gives me, she gives me, she always gives me the, the lightness of this world when the world that I was living in, um, I felt it was so dark. Yeah. So she kind of opens up with her innocence mm-hmm. and that childhood innocence in her about another world that I often don't see. Um, so it gives me light. She gives me this, this hope that, um, you know, if kids are born this kindness with this kindness, there must be other people like that out there as well. So I, I know it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. I always feel like I'm learning from my daughter, you know, even though she's learning from me, but I feel like I learned from my daughter a lot about, you know, this human being side that, you know, um, this innocent side where we think can think of things a bit more simpler. It doesn't have to be that complicated. Um, so yeah, so I think like up until now, it's, it's just just me trying to point her in the right direction, how to be a better person, um, to think of others. Um, you know, she's so kind um, and she did get bullied at school. Uh, I was a little bit concerned about that. Um, and I think it's also because of her character because she's so kind and people kind of pick on her because she doesn't, she doesn't like confrontation. She doesn't like to fight back, mm. um, which is something I'm trying to get her, but that comes with courage and it comes with um, a certain sense of um, that you have that ability. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if my daughter is there at times she would fight back. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I said that use mom, use mom as someone that you can fight back on. I know you're going to rebel against me anyway, but trying to get that kind of sense as well, that you need to have that when you mm-hmm. go out there too. Mm-hmm. I might be tough on you as a mom, but I want you to, to be able to to stand up to that as well when you go outside. So I think we have a really good relationship now. And I think it's, um, she's trying to understand like, um, you know, to, to kind of be comfortable with being, looking Chinese, because she does look like me, you know, yeah. the mini me, which is nice. Yeah. <laughs> so um, to, to kind of be in touch with her Chinese roots, because in, before she didn't want to be. And I think that has a lot of influence from school and the people around her um, who kind of denied her that heritage that she had. Mm. Um, but now she's really like, yeah, I want to learn this. I want to learn Chinese. I want to keep going with that. And, you know, not having to care about what other people think. So I think it's been a yeah it's been nice i think um it's, it's a journey uh, i'm going on the journey with her you know so <laughs> they always say it's the i guess it's the first generation that rebels against uh, the parents who immigrated and then it's the second generation that tries to reconnect with that heritage because i see the same in my dad and myself like uh, when my dad was a young guy, he, uh, you know, his parents immigrated from Greece. And so he kind of pushed back against that identity a, a little bit. Uh, and, uh, and of course, myself and my brother are just trying to reconnect in some way, shape or form to what our grandparents' lives were like and things like that. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I see that. Uh, I, I can imagine that, mu- that must be the case for Hazel, at least in some small 
small respect. All right, I want to turn to a different line of questioning now. Uh, we talked a lot about your pregnancy and about Hazel, and I think that's a really important uh, part of who you are. Uh, but I want to turn more now to the different aspects of your identity, um, your, your gender, obviously, but then I also want to get into kind of your racial or your ethnic identity, your cultural identities. Uh, and there's so many, there's such a, a multifaceted and complex person uh, that you are that I, I think I, I find uh, absolutely fascinating and uh, endearing. And so I want to just start really broad. Uh, you have such a unique background, a unique experience. Can you give me like three ways that that experience has kind of shaped who you are and kind of how you think about yourself? Mm, do you, are you saying from the the cultural identity how that shapes me now or all, all the all of it okay um let me see how I, I can complexity that is <laughs> um I, I like to refer to like you know um this philosophy of the rice bowl mm. I often uh, talk about because it's a little easier to kind of simplify of what that means because um but I think that this rice bowl um, metaphor in, in the Chinese culture stayed with me and stuck with me to, to being who I am today. Uh, and what I mean is, is that um, I grew up with my parents talking around a bowl of rice a lot, mm. um, whether it's from my dad experience of growing up in the village, um, not having enough money and what they literally have is a bowl of rice and, you know, some soy sauce on top, you know, just to get through the day um, mm. basically. Um, and that's a very humble and frugal living um, that for me, you know, I, I honestly don't need a mansion um, or anything, you know, beyond that. I just want to be able to have a comfortable home to be, be in really. Um, so I think I am quite different from a lot of people in that sense, even from when I was younger, when I, I hear people like, yeah, I'm going to want to have my own apartment. I want to have a big house. Or I want to have like a Ferrari and stuff like that. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not too bothered by that. Um, but also it's like this, how do people manage to get a bowl of rice on the table for themselves and for the family? Mm. What I mean is, is that in order to put food on the table, that's basically what this whole metaphor is about is how does one person be able to put food on the table can go by many means mm. and no one should ever cut off that person's way of getting, you know, that the food on the table, mm. you know, so it's, you know, my parents worked really hard, you know, it may not be the best job in the world, you know, but they put food on the table, mm. you know, um, and it's, it's the same, like, even now today, um, because of Corona, you know, people were laid off and, and things like that. It's like, but for me, it's like, are they getting the food on the table? Are they paying their living expenses and things? So that always carried with me that on a larger scale. So if, if you think of, um, so there's this TV drama um, in Hong Kong, which I resonate so, so much. So it's a family um, that was running these rice paddy fields. Mm. Um, they, the, the rice is so important that, you know, it feeds off the whole entire village um, mm. in the whole entire town. But if the rice, you know, goes bad or anything like that, people will starve. Yeah. So, so for me, it's like the same thing with that what's happening right here now with the coronavirus, with all the economic problems with also this transformation in digital is like how many of the people get food on the table mm. and why are they not getting that mm. so that's a very very chinese type of thinking it's like how do you have that and that carries on with me um so when i think about people's welfare whether it's in my team or the society that i'm trying to build 
I think on that level, you know, um, because that's in kind of ingrained in me from 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 my family and the Chinese um, way of thinking um, about um, you know this collectiveness, uh, I guess, rather than individuals, but this collectiveness of um, empowering others in, in some ways, uh, which for some people may think is a little bit strange, but that's not how it is when I grew up, anyway. But so I think that Chinese side is also very it's also this tough love as well it's like you know um the world is going to throw a lot of things at you but you need to get back up you know because um my dad often says we really don't have time to be sick you know <laughs> because <laughs> and, I, and i find that really tough because it's like that you know but he might my dad's a little softer now he's okay with that but when we were growing up you know he was really he, uh, my family was my parents were very tough on us mm. in, in some ways and um um, and we just had to keep going, you know, my, you know, my, I remember my, my parents like to use my sister as an example, because my, my sister at an early on wanted to do medicine and she's a doctor now. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, she was really sick. She had tons, uh, tonsillitis mm -hmm. and then, um, and then she still did her exams. I think it was GCSE and she just aced it all, you know, and uh, my parents were so proud and everything and used mm -hmm. that as examples. Like she was sick. She got aced. And I'm like, <laughs> but I'm not her. <laughs> so, so, so yeah, so that's this, this Chinese side of it. It's like this really, um, you know, family, you know, being able to support on each other and all that type of thing. And even if you're 18, you know, you're still a kid to the parents and you, they still, so in the West, it's very different. So being brought up in Britain um, is a very different type of construct. I would say like this, we would find it weird for families who when the kids are 18 they said oh they're adults we're going to kick them out you know they, mm. they need to survive like this and i was like what <laughs> they're 18 you know i think if they were 30 maybe that makes sense but you know they're 18 you know so it's, it's it so i thought that was a little bit odd i mean it's, it's still odd you know for from the chinese perspective because you know we still see our, our kids as our kids you know um and in the west it's like this you know kind of I don't know, individual way of thinking about your, your personal growth, mm. your mental health, your, your kind of like, um, I don't know, this kind of, like one of the big things I think the big difference that I could see was um, how parents or cultures see grades, mm. you know, because my parents were really tough, you know, they want me to ace everything. But in, in Britain, they see that your grades does mass matter to an extent, mm -hmm. but your mental health matters more. Like, mm -hmm. are you happy with your life? Are you, you know, that's kind of how I felt. Um, and I still see that in Norway as well, you know, that they're teaching kids to, you know, be confident with themselves, you know, um, you know, you know, mentally and physically and so forth um, so that they can work through life. Um, so I think there's that there's a bit of a difference there because I think in the, in the traditional way of, of the Chinese way of thinking is that, all kids, if they have good grades, you know, immediately get jobs, but that's not necessarily the case anymore. I feel that, you know, you know, everything is out the window. Mm. Um, so I think that's also, and also just, I don't know, it's, 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 it's interesting you say that because I, I do reflect on a lot, but I've been reflecting a lot on my Chinese heritage a lot, yeah. but on that British side, I don't reflect so much mm -hmm. because I think, I think when I came moved here to Norway, I feel like I had to keep hold of my Chinese identity more. And I research, I try to get to know this heritage 
of mine rather than this British side. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, I uh, I follow what's going on in Britain, you know, in terms of you know the the movement that's going on and how they um, have conversations, which I can bring on to my my professional career and the personal level too. Um, and it's just yeah, it's just the, this way of way of um, um, yeah, how they how they deal with things over there, um, and I think like people, maybe a little bit more open. I don't know. It's 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 really interesting because I really don't think of that British side of me so so much. Mm. Um, I feel like I've I've lost a little bit of that contact, um, and I, it's not that every British person that comes here in in Norway as well that I I get um, uh, so that I, I can connect with either. I think I connect with British people with minority backgrounds the most okay yeah <laughs> so yeah well, I, I wonder if you could kind of pick that apart a little bit more and, and talk a little bit about how you see your british identity and your chinese identity how do you see that being valued in norwegian society because uh, you I, I see that you have been trying to kind of hold fast to this uh, to the, your chinese identity but i'm wondering if that is because you didn't see yourself represented or you didn't see yourself valued in the same way as you saw your British uh, identity being valued? I, I think that might be the case. I mean, the thing was, that obviously, we had the Brexit. Mm. You know, that was going on. And um, I also knew, like, in, in Britain, they had, like, um, oh, is it equivalent to FRP party? I can't remember, was it uh, UK KIP or something? Yeah, uh, UKIP, I think. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So, so, so they, they were pushing a narrative about us immigrants. Mm. I felt completely... Um, disbelief and also um how can they say such a thing you know they were already saying like people like me who my parents were immigrants that our british passport should be taken away that we should not call ourselves british and i felt extreme heartbroken and i felt like do i really belong in the uk i mean i speak you know with a british accent and you know Mm -hmm. i i still have certain you know, British aspects to me, um, that it it can be apparent in the way I talk sometimes, but it's, but when that happened, and I think when the Brexit happened, I felt like I was excluded, Yeah, the whole entire thing. And I, and, you know, even now I I feel like I just want to get that Norwegian citizenship because at Mm -hmm. least here, uh, I I do have a sense of belonging to a Mm -hmm. certain extent, but in Britain, I feel like I don't really belong there which made it really hard to kind of think of sometimes moving back there because it's completely different, even though my family is there and everything. It's just, um, I don't know. I, I just like, I couldn't wrap my head around it, you, you know, and um, this, what is Britishness? You know, obviously the British history has been ugly and, and bloody, you know, if you look at the colonial history of it. Um, and obviously with, with the, you know, Chinese, we have our own history there. Um, and, you know, I can actually really relate with most of the um, what we call the British-born Chinese people, like me, who who are born there with parents um, who are who are from either Hong Kong or, or China, um, and we have very similar experiences. And I, I found my belonging there, and and I still do. So I'm I'm still in these Facebook groups, um, you know, finding that sense of belonging and trying to understand what's happening over there because it's kind of kind of segregated in some ways not so scared but it's just it's still there um and yeah it's just and also I think like when I moved here as well the first thing people saw was my skin color 
you know? Um, and I feel like maybe that kind of gave me a little bit of a nudge because a lot of times they don't talk about the UK to me. People ask me like, oh, Hong Kong. So um, I heard about in the news that they had this, um, you know, Occupy movement going on. What's your views on, on that? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> uh, do I represent Hong Kong? <laughs> so I, I don't know because it's, it feels like I, I don't fully recognize represent Hong Kong and I don't fully represent the UK and I feel like I'm often in between mm-hmm. and I'm often feel like I, I get torn in between mm-hmm. two cultures all the time you know um, and it's yeah I feel like I'm in Hong Kong because I I, I guess as, as people do ask me about it and also I take advantage of it I leverage it over here you mm-hmm. know being able to speak Cantonese and also speak English perfectly. You know, you know, one of my very first job was becoming an interpreter um, mm. and becoming a Cantonese private teacher, you know, because we will really want to learn this. Um, that was really, really interesting. Um, so I was thrown into to, to kind of more in my Chinese side than mm. my British side, if you see mm. what I mean. So. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's absolutely fascinating. And I mean, um, I kind of, I, I, I feel like what you're saying resonates with me too, because, uh, you know, having Greek background, American background and living here in Norway, I, I get asked stuff about stuff about Greece as if I grew up there my whole life and I know everything <laughs> about Greek politics. And I'm just like, no, I'm a foreigner in Greece. Like I'm a foreigner there. I'm a foreigner here. I'm kind of even a foreigner in the U.S. now. So, um, you know, you you never, well, at least I've, I've struggled to kind of find that connection with any single identity. It's just a, 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 you know, fruit salad kind of thing. Yeah, we're global. I I wasn't saying that I'm a global citizen because I feel like that's kind of how, how I feel because Mm. I haven't been back um, in the UK for 10 years now. And I know things has changed immensely over there. Um, especially with the Brexit now. And that makes me extremely nervous um, of my status here as well. Um, and then if I go to Hong Kong, things are changing over there. And then in Norway, it's like, I've been here, but it's just like, there's stuff going on too. Um, you know, with the Norwegian election coming up, I have no idea how that's going to um, going to be as well. And it's just, yeah, I'm kind of all over the place and I'm still trying to figure out, you know, um, where my sense of belonging, obviously my sense of belonging is, is, is in pockets of them, you know, in, in all of them. So. Uh, it's absolutely fascinating. So, all right, we talked about your your kind of ethnic identity, your cultural identity, your racial identity. I want to move a little bit to gender now because uh, I think this is a really important topic, really important issue that we all kind of have to cope with. But in some ways, we kind of deal with gender in kind of a, a new in a way that's neutral. Like we pre- want to pretend like gender doesn't matter. Like we live in a society where gender is not an issue. But well, all that means often in practice is that we kind of default to male masculine values and things like that. And so I want to draw a little bit out of you, your own gender identity and how that's kind of shaped your perspective. And but before you answer, I want to just have this clarity for people listening that you and I've talked about these issues before. Uh, we, I've got your consent to ask these questions before I ask them. And so it's not like I'm just, you know, kind of putting you on the spot here. Um, so I think it's important that we say that uh, just so people don't get the wrong impression, but your gender, how do you identify? What has your experience been as a person in the world? Yeah, so obviously me as a woman, uh, obviously I talked about, you know, my pregnancy and, and you know, that trauma that only perhaps a woman would go through. A man can't really go through that. So it means that we, we, we see so, certain things in a different perspective. Definitely, I feel more vulnerable. Say, 
you know, one of the things that I see a big difference is like, because I go to a lot of these workshops where we go, so what are you doing combating, you know, um, everyday racism, you know, type of thing, do you stand up? And, uh, and, I, and I remember saying that if I'm on my own, I can stick up, you know, uh, there was, there's an incident where, um, I was on the tab on and I overhear this, this white Norwegian guy badgering these two, um, African young ladies, um, who at the time didn't have any mask on and anything like that. Um, and, um, and he just kept going and going at them. And I can see that she would, they were becoming extremely uncomfortable. And I decided to go, you know what, girls, would you like to come with me? We can sit somewhere else. We can have a chat. You know, obviously this guy is, is being a, a dick really, if I can say it that way, you know? And so, so, you know, I, I kind of like, you know, went to another place, but we still, I went particularly at a spot where I can keep an eye on him because mm-hmm. at least I know when he's going to get off and I can understand when the girls are getting off too. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I had my daughter with me and there was, there were times when my daughter was with me and my mom, and my daughter actually held me back and said, I don't want you to confront that guy or anything. Because there was just, there was one incident or there are a couple of them, but there was one incident where we were at the Tamron station and this young girl was screaming at this man saying, I don't want to go with you. Um, I want mama. And um, this guy was completely at a loss. Um, but I could see that this, this girl was in pain and I wanted to just go up and, and see how the girl was doing. But because my daughter was already crying on the side saying, mom, don't go. And she felt there was threatened, you know, yeah. there's a threat there and so much fear. Mm-hmm. I pulled back mm-hmm. and I said that, and I told her like, I understand you're, you're frightened, but how about that little girl too? You know, mm-hmm. if we can do something better and I'm, I'm here, I'm protecting you, you know, I'm here there too, but I'm just going to ask if that girl was okay so that she knows that there's someone around that she can talk to. Um, but I did help back. And I think that is the difference, right? If you have like a, a child, you, you know, when your mother, you, um, and also because I'm not as big as that guy either, you know, cause my body is, is quite short in, in some ways. Um, and I don't have strong muscles and things. So it's, it's easy to, to, to become a victim actually, if I did go, go forward in, in some ways, but I, I don't think at that time, something was going to happen to me because it was on Taban station there were cameras and there are other people. But what often I see is that this um, psychological reaction that when there's so many people, not everyone's going to come forward and do something. And I often would take that, that step and, and trying to nudge that because I, I feel like if I go in as a train and ask, maybe someone else would also jump in and go, yeah, you know, how's the things going? Because often they, they would see like, oh, I'm with a kid or, you know, I'm, I'm a girl and they want to jump in, you know, to help, help me out as well in the situation. So, so there are times like that. And, um, and obviously because I'm Chinese looking, there's often this stereotype about us, mm. um, you know, that we we must be really good at math. We must be really intelligent. Um, we must be submissive as well. You know, mm. I, I do. Um, and there, I see that men do look at me as some kind of eye candy, like the exotic object that they're looking at. Mm -hmm. And that really pisses me off. Um, So, um, and it's just by the tone and the way they talk to you. And sometimes they don't give up. um, Mm -hmm. And then you have to go like, I think you should. (laughs) And I just kind of have to, you know, either not talk to them. Um, And it becomes really difficult sometimes because it feels like, um, you know, especially in the business setting where you do meet people constantly, um, you know, also it's very small. Um, and sometimes, you know, when, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in situations, I'd kind of uh, man up a little just to kind of get that intimidation in um, to say that, 
you know, I may be a woman, I may look like an exotic figure to you, but don't disrespect me. Don't even say anything, comment about my appearance. That would be nice. So, um, so then it was, it's kind of like, I have to put in certain things just to kind of maybe put off the guy from not looking at me in that way. Um, and, you know, obviously, I don't know, it's, it's, there are so many different things to unpack. It's, it's just like also this, um, sometimes this microaggression. So, um, so I was working in this company full of men who likes to jab at each other. And I felt extremely, extremely uncomfortable. And I remember telling um, the group about it, you know, cause you know, I learned to be outspoken wherever I am. And uh, when it was like a, you know, a, a room full of men, you know, who, who is basically this, this jabbing at each other is, is very much like bullying. You're teasing the other person. You're kind of putting the other person down. You're trying to humiliate that person, even though that guy fought back at, with a really, really, you know, good comment. And then it's like, that made me extremely uncomfortable. Um, I didn't understand why that, that was the case. Um, and then I do get called, you know, are you just being sensitive? Yeah. You know, it's like, I was like thinking, I didn't think that's a bad thing. No. <laughs> I don't think being sensitive is a bad thing. And I don't think that this, this caring part of me is a bad thing. It doesn't weaken me. It doesn't say anything about my you know, incapability of doing my work, you know? Um, and it's precisely the things that I do in communication. Um, I need to be sensitive. You know, mm -hmm. I need to understand what the other person is feeling. So if you guys are not feeling the way that I'm feeling, maybe you guys are the problem, not me. You know, so um, and eventually I came came out of it. And anyway, so it's um, it's just the, those type of type of things that I, I often see, and also because and also because of the color of my skin, people do make comments. You know, as the there's there's also this like hero complex that I see. Like you need saving, okay. <laughs> so I'm gonna help you there. Or you know, it's like. Um, because I am British, which means that I've, I've been educated. So meeting the NAF system was also tough because they see me as, um, you know, this girl that needs help, but they couldn't help me. I didn't know how to place you and everything. Mm. Um, and I was, I felt like I was just bung in with other, um, of a very vulnerable group where they could actually use that um, the wording, the language and, you know, whatever they can to kind of empower me. But I also feel like, I often feel like I'm, I'm the one, only one who's empowering myself really in, in all these situations. So my gender does, does come in and also, you know, um, obviously being, having a child, you, you end up, I see this big difference as well. I see like there's male leaders who really dump their kids to their partners to deal with. Yeah. But as, as a mom, you know, I can't, especially me being pretty much on my own all the time, I have no one to dump my child with someone. Yeah. Um, I, I, I can I actually, I can ask a friend, mm. but in the COVID time, that's not possible. Mm. And also it's like, there's so much pressure and responsibility on the mother to take care of the kids, mm. where the men don't. Um, I've seen like people take, guys take decisions just like that so quickly where I would be hesitant because I'm often thinking, am I walking away from my daughter's life um, you know, to go on a business trip or so forth when she really needed me the most, you know, and I had to give her, you know, have her back at her father's place for a few days. And sometimes her father would refuse, you know, for whatever reason, because of work or whatever, you know. So I feel like um, there was like this slight imbalance that men can take those kind of riskier, um, daring decisions where women have to really 
um, be sensitive um, to um, or kind of cons more considerate of our situation um, than I think that I feel like men has mm. in, in a sense. So, yeah. Yeah, this is uh, such an important uh, experience to kind of put, shine a light on and to understand and to kind of uh, empathize with. I think that's, uh, that's the only thing we can do, especially as a man. I mean, there's nothing I can ever do to, to, under, to know what it is to experience uh, life as a woman. Um, but hearing from you those experiences and understanding kind of the, the little things, but then the big things that kind of shaped your world and your life history, the kind of stuff that you had to deal with, that I think a lot of women would identify with and be able to say, oh yeah, I've had that exact same experience. I know what that's like. I know how to, I know I've had to deal with that. Uh, you mentioned the bully thing, bullying thing in work. And I think, you know, I would put it back like you did on them. Like they don't have the social skills to cope in a working environment where bullying isn't part of their social interactions. Like I, I that's how I would see that situation is like, can you operate under both? in both ways, because obviously you cannot. <laughs> and it's, 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 you can, you, uh, come on, can. And I think that's uh, it's really a testament to your your resilience and, uh, you know, the capacity you have as a emotional human being. Yeah, and, and I think it's also, um, you know, me protecting my own health, you know. Um, yeah. it's, it's like oh. moving, removing myself away from a very toxic environment that mm -hmm. you, 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 that I've already, made my concern heard i yeah. told you about it but if you're dismissive about it you kind of write it off as mm -hmm. oh it's just playful we're just teasing it's just the way it is then why should i stay yeah you know i know some people stay because they need the money and everything mm -hmm. but you know when you lose your health you're not going to get money in that's how i feel yeah. uh, and i think some people um you know, everyone is in a very different circumstances. And, you know, obviously I was lucky that I had another job to go to as mm -hmm. well. Uh, and also other projects and, you know, and paid projects as well uh, that were coming in at the time. So uh, I can safely leave um, mm -hmm. in a sense, but, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of those, those things, you know, um, that, you know, I, I do feel, you know, it's not just this, 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 this environment, but it, there were many occasions where I seen men dismiss me on the accounts that this is just the way we talk as men. It's kind of like Trump saying, this is the locker room talk, yeah. you know? Uh, and that really is scary, you know? Yeah, 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 I agree. Especially if these men come up and saying like, you know, I, um, you know, when I say, you know, this is, you know, when they ask if I'm a feminist and they start saying, yes, they are too, or they're, they're frightened, they're fighting for some kind of social impact in, in their work. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they can't see that the personal, way of being with other women and, and vulnerable groups of people just doesn't match up. I just kind of feel like you have some, a lot of work to do. And I don't, and I don't give a crap the fact that you're trying to make impact in the world because I see on a personal level, you're not quite there yet. So yeah. No, I see it all the time too. It's just that the, the, the people who are in those positions often don't have the social skills or the leadership skills to be able to create a, an environment, a working environment that is conducive to a diversity of group of people being able to participate meaningfully. Uh, and it becomes exclusionary because they don't know any other way to operate. Uh, and so it's a, it's a kind of it's tragic in both respects. One, that it happens at all. And then two, that the people who are in those decision-making positions often don't have the social skills 
to be able to cope any other way. Uh, and that's, uh, that's really, um, yeah, that's just a huge, huge issue we're facing. Mm -hmm. Um, all right. So thank you. Uh, thank you for giving me the space to kind of reflect on that too, because I think this is, this is enriching for me as, as the interviewer, as it is, uh, just hearing about your experience. Um, I want to move now to uh, your experience as a survivor of, uh, of abuse and violence and just get your uh, reflection in, in, in as any way that you feel comfortable um, about what that experience uh, has been for you and how you've kind of come through that, what sort of uh, kind of, uh, how has that trauma faced your life maybe? We'll just say it like that. Um, yeah, sure. So um, the first time I heard the domestic violent term was when I was at university. Um, and I was explaining to my professors um, at the department about my situation at home. But during that conversation, I never used the word domestic violence or a victim or, or whatever. Um, it was only until um, the kind of head or the deputy head of, of the department said, you really need to see a therapist. Mm. She, she didn't tell me exactly what, but she just felt like you need to go and see one now. Mm. And so she's a deputy head, I have to listen to her, you know, I kind of felt, you know, um, that if I don't, you know, maybe she'll kick me out, you know, very Chinese way of thinking about things, but I, I don't think that was the case. I think she was just concerned about me. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, I did go uh, and I, and I started seeing a therapist, you know, behind my, my family's back. They didn't know that I was seeing a therapist at the time. Um, and it was free, which was great. Um, and um, eventually when I was talking to my therapist, you know, she was pointing out certain things. Um, she was saying she was physical with you. So I'm talking about my mom being violent towards me now. Uh, and I was like, yeah, yeah, she would, um, she would hit us. She would kick us. She would um, wake us up in the middle of the night, screaming her head out, you know, and, um, you know, try to whack us with, with hangers and, and so forth. Um, and, um, and she said, have you ever heard about domestic violence? Mm -hmm. I was like, I, nah I don't think it was you know it's just like what is that you know it's you know because for me it's like this this idea of domestic violence sound much more like you know a, a man beating up a wife right. to me. not not kids being involved like you know me at the university age um, and she started explaining to me what that was mm -hmm. and how my experiences match up to some of that terminology in that mm -hmm. sense and I was just so shocked to have that realization of what situation I was in. I was in denial mm. for, for a while. Um, and, but every single time I came back and when I actually had to say what I'm going through was domestic violence, mm. was the point where I started accepting that this was the situation I'm in. Um, and, you know, obviously it was difficult for, for them to kind of have the, um, the tools to, to kind of do with my situation because, you know, it's culturally, if I were to speak out about it, if I were to go to the police about it, then my parents would, you know, my mom would potentially go to jail mm -hmm. or she, um, that it gets so big that either I get fostered or, you know, things like that could happen. And I didn't want to go that far. I didn't want to go to that thing. So I was, kind of having to really think how can I get out of this and what happened was that 
um, I moved out of home in my final year because there was so much conflict and heat going on at home. Um, and I honestly, I don't even at this point remember why my mother got angry with so many different things. Um, but I felt like I need I needed to, to get out, and um, and I did. But the worst thing was that my siblings were still at home, and so she took her tension to my siblings, um, and you know, my mom even, you know, for my brother defending me, you know, my mother picked up the knife and and tried to hurt my 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 brother, and my dad stopped her, and then um, and she ended up being in the hospital, you know. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there was a craft of stories around it and, and all that. But I get this call from my aunt in Hong Kong, which was very early in the morning. Um, I remember it was really bright. And then, you know, she was pretty much begging me to go home um, and just say I'm sorry. So what happened was was that I ended up going home um, because I want to keep the peace. Mm. And um, there's a tradition when you are paying your respect to your parents, you would kneel down on the ground with a cup of tea in your hand. Mm. Um, so I had to, I did that to my mom, even though I absolutely did not see anything I did was wrong. No. Um, and I had to kind of bite my tongue through that. Mm. Um, and I had to kind of also be kind and say, you know, how, um, how's your head? And, you know, how, how are you feeling? You know, and, and things like that. Um, and I would go back for dinner um, almost every day, you know, just to keep the peace at home. Um, I remember my siblings got gotten a bit angry with me as well for leaving. So, I mean, eventually I didn't move back in um, at the end of the, uh, after I graduated because my mother got sick um, and I was the only one who graduated, which meant that I had to take over um, the family business a little bit and and also to kind of, um, you know, be the one to, to take care of my mom with my dad and, and so forth. So in that, in that journey, of that, I was um, trying to really get out of it to, to kind of, instead of playing that, you know, cause we don't say victims of domestic violence, we say survivors of domestic violence now. Um, and surviving that really made me stronger in the sense that I really um, confronted my mom about her violence. I confronted my mom about, you know, the way that she was bringing us up and everything. And I do believe that my mother had depression. I, I, I think my mother had anger issues and, and things like that because she was, I think like me moving over here to Norway, I, I started understanding her pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she wasn't able back in that time, able to release that pain somehow and trust the people around her um, who were not looking down on her uh, to talk to. She had no one to talk to. And my father was not the most communicative guy in the world either because he has this very traditional way of being that husband, that father, um, not very emotional, you know, don't talk about feelings and all that. And I can still see that nowadays with men. They're mm. not very good at opening up. You might be different though, but you know, but there's many who, 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 get, who are not able to, to speak out the, the, those feelings. Mm. Um, and then when that when that happened, it was, you know, it, obviously I, I survived and I, I managed to get out. And obviously when my mother passed away, I there was a sense of relief um, on my part because she was not able to hurt me anymore uh, and I can sort of move on. Um, and I often tell people I'm often in conflict when my mother died because it's like, it is a sad thing, but at the same time of what she has done to me, it also hurt me like hell. Um, and it's still, um, 
sort of scarred me for life in, in some ways because I'm not able to trust other people. So I have a trust issue with a lot of people and it takes time for me to build up that trust with people. Um, and then, you know, going, going on, you know, I ended up, you know, one of the things what happened was when I became, a, you know, wanted to become a journalist and wanted to pick up stories, you know, I was looking into what foreign mothers was going through over here, but I didn't think I would be meeting cases of domestic violence. So once again, I had to be confronted with my past and, you know, and what was happening there. And I had to kind of take some time off to, to kind of recollect and, um, and, and think how I can keep going um, on this very important topic without um, sinking basically emotionally and all that. Um, and I think like, because I came out of the situation I did back in England, I was able to resonate with so many of the stories and people coming to me for help um, to get out of certain situations. Um, and it is really about mental strength in all of it. You know, it's not just physical strength, it's like the mental strength to get out. And I think, um, in England, they did a, I think they're statistically saying that it takes a woman, I think eight times before they actually leave a domestic violent relationship. Mm. Um, and, I, and I sometimes count, you know, with myself, you know, how many times, you know, I, I was trying to get out from, from this one and, and, and things like that. Mm. And, and also the women I talked to and the people that I talked to, you know, how long have they, how many times have they tried to get out of this situation and, um, mm. and will they survive, you know, uh, too, you know, because, we still live in a capitalist society where money still still drive a lot of things. Um, so, so yeah, so it, it kind of, it shaped me because it made me understand what trauma can do to you mm -hmm. and how susceptible you are to, um, you know, I had another type of um, much more psychological abuse um, in my own relationship and, um, that I, I got out of and, and things like that. And it's, um, and some people, they don't realize it because it's very culturally embedded. Like this is the way you talk, this is the way you do stuff, especially in the Asian community. Um, I see the sign a lot, mm. um, whether it's an Asian woman or, or, or a man or whatever, you know, the way they talk, the way they, they speak, you know, it can be, especially if you have gone through domestic violence, I can see how that escalates in, in certain circumstances, whether it's with the employee, whether it's in, within your your family and, and so forth. And it, it can be really bad if you don't deal with it. And yeah. I think in the Asian community, people don't talk openly enough about mental health issues and how um, how their anger, which they feel like is their pride, mm. um, end up hurting other people. Yeah. Um, and I see that. And I think like, because of, I got this experience myself is, is trying to stop that and prevent that from happening mm. um, in some ways. So, yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's uh, again, it's a very important uh, experience and perspective to, sh to talk about um, because it's, there's not enough open discussion around these issues and they're very often just kept private and uh, they never see the light of day. So there's no way for us to kind of relate if you're an if you're experiencing violence or you're experiencing abuse there's no way to relate that to you know narratives and movies and television programs a lot of times and so hearing someone like you talk about that experience and the struggles that you had and the internal conflict of kind of having to balance just things like the death of your mother like the the, the sorrow along with that kind of feeling of um, relief that this person won't be able to hurt you anymore 
Um, I, I just thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I want to end on a, on a bit of a hopeful note and just ask you, what do you, what do you hope for Hazel's future? That she can just be herself, um, that she's healthy, um, you know, mentally, physically, and, and, you know, that, you know, she's, she doesn't have to go through the things that I've gone through, um, you know, because obviously right now there was the Black Lives Matter movement and everything. And, you know, she, she you know, there, there were times where we have been, you know, we have been stopped in the, on the bus once where this guy literally, you know, my daughter was quite young at the time. She didn't really understand. But, you know, he was saying like, you know, your, your daughter should be learning Norwegian and maybe she could work for NRK, something like that. And I got really pissed off at this guy who was drunk. Uh, Norwegian guy. I don't know why it's always a Norwegian guy sometimes, but I'm pretty sure there's Norwegian women out there who, who are also as, as crazy as that. But yeah. um, <laughs> but it, but my my daughter witnessed that, and I and I started seeing how the society was building up against her in Norway, and um, and I'm hoping that with the movement and everything, it can create a safer place for my daughter, mm. um, and yeah, just for her to be happy and be able to do the things that she wants, really, you know, it's, it's, it's the simple things, you know, just, mm. it's not like I, I want her to be, you know, grand and rich and famous, or whatever, you know, I just want my daughter to be happy and, and you know, and healthy. Well, I will say uh, that she is just a, a good person. Uh, having met her on a number of occasions, and even my earliest memory of meeting her for the first time, I she always struck me as just a good person. And I think that's, um, I, I think that's a testament to your ability as a parent, and of course the, the society she's growing up in. Um, I think that's really that's yeah. I, yeah, I remember. I think the first time we met was at, when I was doing that data analytics. Mm -hmm. I remember this really funny incident where she was. <laughs> I didn't know why she was crying at that point, but you know when we had the um, the announcement of the prices and everything. Mm -hmm. um, so she saw this other group won uh, a different price and then she started crying and i didn't understand why and then when he announced that we won like this other price and then we had to get up and then she was just like oh what's good so i was like yeah well, mommy won a prize for this one it's like oh but i thought you didn't win the prize <laughs> so because mommy worked so hard and to get a prize so i was like oh i said that it doesn't matter it's like if it's the participation that's the most important because i was learning a lot anyway during that course so yeah i think she learned she got something out of it too i hope Oh yeah, I think I think she sees like I work all the time and be able to to be a mom and also be able to work alongside her, but also be able to attend to her needs. And I think it's really funny because there's this parody, right? Um, I don't know if you remember like this Korean um, this 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 professor or something. He was on on BBC and then his his daughter came running in yes. doing the dancing, and then he didn't know how to deal with it. He was pushing her back, and the mother mm -hmm. came in and trying to take her out. Where there was a priority that happened, where it was a woman instead. It was like if the kid came in, you know, you could see her doing many different things at the same time. <laughs> and I think that's it was that difference there. You know, yeah. like you can see like you know with the women that we have to multi manage sometimes mm. with so many things happening. So yeah. I'm not saying I'm perfect. You know, I do yeah. drop the ball and, and all that, but it's it's just like I think that we we could do it if the environment allows us. And I think that's so important to have this very safe place. And I, and obviously I knew you before. So when I was in that course, you know, I, I knew like if I bring my daughter in, there would be no problem. You know, I don't feel like I'd be discriminated in, in any way. So, yeah. I was grateful that you brought her in. I was grateful to meet her. 
Thank you so much, Kaman. This has been a wonderful series of interviews. I've gotten so much value out of it, and I hope the people who are listening to this get uh, some value out of it as well. Uh, your experience is so rich and complex and, uh, and interesting, and I think that there's a lot that anyone can learn from just hearing your stories. So thank you so much. Thank you, Anthony.